You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 5th of June 2023, presented by Dr. Muriel Newman. We are told the climate is in crisis. We are told radical changes are required if the planet is to have any future at all. But how reliable are the models used to make such alarming predictions? And why are our central and local governments using models with assumptions that have been rejected by the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change? Here's Muriel Newman. On the last Friday in May, students from all over the country wake school to support school strike for climate rallies. They called for urgent action from central and regional governments to reduce climate change. The Aotearoa Liberation League supported the strike, claiming the crisis is caused by racism and disrespecting Maori culture. They said, Climate crisis isn't a complicated issue. It's as simple as society's disrespect for Ranganui and Papatuanuku. If we resolve that disrespect and also the racism that underpins it, we'll resolve not only the climate crisis, but in fact all of our environmental issues. The demands of the student activists included much more than environmental issues. They wanted to reduce emissions now, 50% reduction in emissions by 2030, they wanted a 100% transition to regenerative agriculture. They wanted Te Tiriti centred climate justice. And they wanted the voting age lowered to 16, so in their words, today's young people could put climate breakdown at the top of the political agenda. Translating those demands into real-world effects, they wanted to kill the economy, destroy traditional agriculture, promote Maori supremacy, and lower the voting age so naive and impressionable young activists can influence election outcomes. What the strike clearly demonstrated is how climate change has now been captured by the political left. There are signs, however, in some parts of the world that the public are pushing back. Two recent cases spring to mind. Back in March in the US, when a Rasmussen survey asked voters if they agreed or disagreed with the statement that climate change has become a religion that actually has got nothing to do with the climate and is really about power and control, 60% agreed. In other words, three out of five US voters believe the climate change propaganda they're constantly bombarded with is about political power and control, not the climate. A similar trend can be seen in Berlin, Germany. In April, climate activists suffered a devastating blow when their Berlin Climate Neutrality by 2030 referendum 
was rejected by 82% of voters. This was despite more than a million euros being spent by the Pro 2030 lobby group on advertising and promotion. If New Zealanders share the same sentiment, as is likely, then Labour's budget spend of $1.9 billion on climate change initiatives will be seen by many to be a colossal waste of money. In fact, there's growing public opposition to policies that subsidise electric cars for the wealthy and pay a giant Australian corporation $140 million to consume electricity instead of coal. The irony is that while our Labour Green government is cracking down on the use of coal, including plans to close down New Zealand's only coal-fired power station, Many other countries are increasing their reliance on coal. China already has 1,118 coal-fired power stations, but is building 240 more, while India has 285 plants and is constructing another 51. Neither China nor India are considering taking steps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions until at least 2050, if at all. So while countries like ours are paying the price of having climate fanatics in government crippling our economy in order to implement ideological UN mandates, other more sensible countries are taking a pragmatic approach. They're putting the well-being of their people and their economy first by increasing economic outlook to fill the void that we and others are creating. China has now overtaken Japan as the world's leading electric car manufacturer, manufactured in plants fuelled by coal. Fortunately, there are signs that a great global warming awakening is starting to emerge. The European Union has abandoned its planned ban on combustion engine cars, and the G7 has refused to set a date for the elimination of coal from the bloc's energy systems. Even the so-called World Authority, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, is having second thoughts about some of its overblown predictions. When it comes to New Zealand, for decades we've been browbeaten with claims that our clean, green country produces excessive emissions of greenhouse gases, with our world-beating farmers accused of being largely to blame. The argument from the IPCC has always been that methane produced by livestock digestion is 28 times more dangerous than carbon dioxide, even though methane is part of a natural cycle that can be traced back to the dinosaurs. However, it now turns out that those climate change experts were wrong, and the actual figure for stable methane systems like ours is only a quarter of that, 7, not 28. The IPCC admitted the mistake in their sixth assessment report, but the mistake has never been officially corrected by New Zealand officials. Instead, it's the false assumptions from the IPCC that continue to underpin the Labour Green government's net zero policy agenda, allowing them to impose the harshest methane restrictions of any country in the world onto an industry that's an international leader in efficient primary production. 
Furthermore, this has been done in defiance of Article 2 of the UN's Paris Agreement, which specifically prohibits governments from introducing policies that would restrict the supply of food or threaten food production. This is not the only significant correction that's recently been made by the IPCC. Two others also impact heavily on New Zealand. The first involves the claim that by 2100 the sea level will rise by over a metre. And the second is that by 2100 global temperatures could rise by up to 5 degrees Celsius. The exaggerated sea level rise predictions originated in 2009 when the IPCC adopted what it described as a very high greenhouse gas emissions model as one of four scenarios to predict climate outcomes. It turns out that Representative Concentration Pathway 8.5, or RCP 8.5 for short, is based on an impossible scenario. It assumes the whole world uses only coal for energy and for transportation. It's this impossible scenario that's being used by New Zealand's climate agency, NIWA, to justify our climate emergency and predict a future sea level rise of over a metre by 2100. This modelling is now being adopted by local councils in their planning documents, and the effect on landowners is serious. The UN has now admitted that RCP 8.5 is so unrealistic and implausible that it's been removed from all policy making. Even the Biden administration has abandoned it in the US. But NIWA has never corrected their false assumptions. The UN has also admitted their temperature predictions of up to 5 degrees warming by 2100 were also wrong. They now say in a report released on the 26th of October last year that the world is on track for about 2.5 degrees Celsius of warming by 2100. The UN's announcement effectively concedes that there's no climate emergency. It means that global temperatures are expected to rise by about 0.017 degrees C per year over the next 80 years, which is the same barely perceptible average pace as over the last 80 years. Time is proving what many have always known. The IPCC models are grossly unreliable. Based on false assumptions, they've attempted to predict natural systems that are so volatile and complex they're inherently unpredictable. If it were not for the political ideology driving the climate emergency, the climate crisis would long ago have dissipated into irrelevance. And this is where New Zealand has a real problem. The UN's outdated modelling for methane, sea level rise and temperature increase still underpin the Labour Green government's whole zero carbon legislative agenda, the emissions trading scheme and the work of the Climate Commission. What's more, the government has made no moves to correct these inaccuracies. Continuing with a regulatory climate framework that uses measures discredited by the IPCC must surely border on climate fraud. At the very least, 
opposition politicians and the media should now be holding the Prime Minister and Climate Minister to account. But while the IPCC has been dialing down the rhetoric and conceding there is no climate emergency, the Green Party's Climate Minister is still claiming otherwise. Climate researcher Ian Bradford is holding James Shaw to account for his absurd claim that Cyclone Gabriel was caused by climate change. Quote, Let me remind Mr Shaw of the NASA definition of climate change. No weather by itself is evidence of climate change or global warming, as the test is whether the weather adds to a new weather pattern over many years or even millennia. In other words, a one-off event that does not keep repeating day after day is not climate. It's a weather event. Cyclone Gabriel was a one-off event. It was a weather event. End quote. Ian also reveals that the government has been able to ramp up climate change scaremongering because NIWA has not included the worst historic storms and cyclones in its database. In fact, of 22 major weather events that took place over a 22-year period leading up to 1890, only four had been loaded into the NIWA database. A mass of 82% were missing. With the Labour-Green government preoccupied with forcing everyone to switch to electricity, this week's NZCPR guest commentator, energy expert Brian Leylands, outlines the danger. Quote, the New Zealand government has committed to net zero emissions of carbon by 2050. They seem to believe that wind and solar power can achieve this. In the real world, a wind farm's output often drops below 10% of its installed capacity for days at a time. Solar power disappears completely every night and drops by 50% or more during cloudy days. These plans have a single fatal flaw. They're reliant on the pipe dream that there is some low-cost, large-scale technology that will store surplus electricity. Barring some sort of miracle, there is no possibility that a suitable storage technology will be developed in the needed time frame. Under net zero plans, nations will need to generate many more times electricity than they can now to meet the increasing demand from electric cars and electric heating and the shutdown of many coal and gas-fired stations. Power prices will soar, making most things more expensive, and there will be frequent blackouts." End quote. Brian points out that Transpower has already said the country will face blackouts this winter. That raises the question as to why the government is subsidising the switch from coal to electricity on such a massive scale. Is this yet another case of socialist ideology being blind to practical realities? A critical question we should be asking Labour and the Greens is where their net zero agenda is taking the country. In the UK, Dr Benny Pizer of the Global Warming Policy Foundation has looked into this question, and he explains it like this, quote, The realities of net zero are hitting home for the general public. 
The threat that the project represents to livelihoods and liberties is becoming more evident by the day. Recently, the mathematician Norman Fenton tweeted an excerpt from a government-funded report that set out what Net Zero UK might look like. No airports, no shipping, no beef and lamb to eat, and most food imports eliminated. Sounds grim, doesn't it? Lots of people thought so too, and the tweet went viral, garnering over 3 million views. End quote. Dr. Pizer also highlighted the threat of 15-minute cities to discourage car use and, quote, programmable digital currencies which would allow the authorities to dictate your purchases. No beef for you this week, end quote. Before our eyes, the climate change movement is morphing into totalitarianism. We recently saw the absurdity of politicians controlling our lives when the Labour government suggested taking five-minute showers to solve the cost-of-living crisis. With the state now intruding ever deeper into our private lives, will New Zealanders stand by and let them take more control? Or will we rise up as a nation and push back to defend our freedom and our Kiwi way of life. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll, or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.